I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking, well, Copa America, we have a final, and maybe by the end of the day, well, not by the end of the day, we'll have a final when it comes to Euros, but we are recording this on uh, Wednesday, July 7th, before the England-Denmark game. So we have a uh, one of the finalists when it comes to Euros, with uh, Italy, a a team that has turned a lot of heads over the tournament, and they will take on the winner of England-Denmark. And as I said, we're recording uh, this before that game. Uh, We'll give you a couple of uh, recommendations out there and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this, as I said, Wednesday, July 7th? Now, usually we record on Monday. We then switched it to Tuesday. But now we have said, let's just get it done on Wednesday. And once again, we hope that you forgive us. How are you doing, Mossy? Doing great. Never felt better. <laughs> so I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think that I'm uh, you know, speaking out of turn here, but the listener and the viewer should know that our, our good friend David Mossy had... Uh, had a fun night, shall we say. And he and he might be a little slow, although I think he's going to rally. What did you do last night? What did you get up to, my friend? Well, after the show, a bunch of us uh, uh, went out for, for a few beers. Uh, you were smart enough to just uh, briefly stop by, have one or two and call it a night. I, of course, was that bozo who ends up staying till the very end of the night and closes down the bar. So, yeah. Well, listen, uh, buddy, you've been working hard, okay? And you deserve uh, a night out, multiple nights out for that uh, for that matter. And so um, no, no shame, no shame. Uh, many of us, including uh, yours truly, have been there before. I was not there to see you in all, uh, in all your glory. Now, do you, uh, I'm sure our listeners, our avid listeners would want to know what a mossy, a, uh, you know, a lubed up mossy uh, looks and sounds like. Do you start spouting off, you know, incredible... Uh, things that have been in the recesses of your mind when it comes to soccer when uh, when you start doing that, when you start uh, having a few drinks? No, it, not really. Uh, I, I, I kind of, I can sort of maintain my normal uh, laid back demeanor. Um, I probably talk less actually when I have a lot of drinks. In really? Me. Okay. Well, there's a lot of people that would love to be able to spend a night uh, having some beers and, and picking that wonderful, uh, wonderful mind of yours. Um, you know, as we mentioned, we continue to be knee deep in uh, in tournaments. We are at the last week of 
our Copa America coverage, and it's dovetailing right into the Gold Cup. So much so that Saturday we have the final of Copa America, and then we go right into uh, Gold Cup. Uh, anything that you're watching or listening while uh, in between all of the incredible research and work that you are doing for us uh, on uh, on the Copa? I have not started Downton Abbey yet, but uh, staying on the British tip, um, our uh, boss, Zach Kenworthy, uh, recommended a Netflix show called Top Boy, which uh, is essentially the British wire. And the wire is my favorite television drama of all time. So that's all I needed to hear to give this show a shot. I've only watched a couple of episodes, but I'm in. I like it. Uh, looks very promising. Yeah, he was all over that. We were, yeah, we were talking about different shows. And what's the Formula One show that everybody's got? Go Drive to Survive. The drive to survive uh, thing. I know my my kids and uh, and my wife were all over all over that. And he brought up that one, um, you know, the uh, the English version of the Wire, if you will, about gangs over there in uh, in uh, in London. So I will have to check that out. And there's a there's a I guess it would be evidently back in 2013. This was done with two seasons, two episodes of four. And then when Netflix bought it, they added another season. But obviously, it's a whole a whole Time, the time had passed. So you can go back and, and watch it. But he actually watched it where he watched the, the one that's come out today or, you know, uh, over the last year. And then he's gone back to watch it as kind of a prequel type of thing. But I will check that out. All right. So this is what I'm watching. Um, new documentary on uh, Netflix called Sophie, a, a murder in West Cork. Uh, multiple episodes, but certainly very uh, bingeable and uh, an interesting story. Uh, about a murder of a young woman um, in West Cork and all of the interesting twists and turns with that. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think, on one of the pods, um, that I listen to a lot of different podcasts. Some of them have to do with soccer, and a lot of them don't have to do with soccer. But uh, there's one that I listened to about the Coca-Cola thing I had mentioned about New Coke and everything. So it's called Coca-Cola's Greatest Mistake. And I just wanted to make sure that I, uh, I, I called it out specifically because sometimes I just gloss over it. Lindsey Graham, who I think does a great job on all the Wondery podcasts uh, over there, you can check that out. Once again, Coca-Cola's greatest mistake, and it's really interesting in this day and age where we talk about branding and marketing and of, of soccer, oftentimes we're talking about it. But this, this applies to all of that stuff. And then, uh, let's see, on July 4th, uh, me and the family, we watched, uh, what we watched? Uh, Zero Dark Thirty, right? I think that's what it's called. Um, about uh, the uh, the tracking and then obviously the killing of uh, Osama bin, uh, bin Laden. And then we also coupled it with uh, a documentary that's been around on HBO for a number of years called The Manhunt, The Search for Bin Laden, which is really, really interesting. And, you were on uh, a Bin Laden kick. I was. I was on a Bin, a bin Laden kick. So uh, that, was, uh, that was interesting. We also did it because, you know, for... for for our generation and for those of us that were around at the time, I mean, it's a, it's a, a seminal historic uh, moment. And yet there's, sometimes you forget there's a whole generation where it's not that it doesn't mean anything. It's just that they are taught it as history. And the closeness of it um, is not necessarily there. And so, you know, recognizing that it is part of our, our history and giving uh, in as much context as we possibly as we possibly can, I just thought uh, I'm fascinated by that you, question. By the way, out. as a history buff, history major in college, when does a recent event become history? And I often ask people this at parties: like, what's the last year of your life that feels recent? 
And then when does it start feeling like anything that happened beyond that point is now sort of a part of history and something that you, you know, look at? Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 to your point, this is how I feel about, uh, you know, I guess it's not unfortunate. It's just the way of the world, right? And when you have now a generation that was never there, I guess it's 20 years, I would think, um, where where you start. Because you have to start interacting with people uh, and a generation in a in a real way. So they're not just kids running around. They are You're actually interacting. You're either working with them or you're coming in contact with them where it's right in your face that something that you feel as much more vivid and real and not part of history yet to them they see in the past and they don't have an understanding and oftentimes an appreciation or respect. And it's not, it's not their fault. It's just the way that history in the world works. Uh, anything else? That's Mas- it. All right, let's light this candle because there's a whole lot of soccer going on and we are in an incredible week here, as I mentioned, with the finals of tournaments happening and the starts of tournaments happening and the continued uh, soccer that's going on. All right, so we st- let's start off with uh, Copa America. Should we do yep. that? All right, so we are recording this, as I said, on a Wednesday, one of our first uh, extended days off in that we have three days off. Now, when I say off, uh, that just means that we're not going into work per se uh, to be on air and to do shows. It doesn't mean (laughs) that anything stops and there's a whole lot of prep both for the end of this tournament, but also for the beginning of, uh, of Gold Cup. But we have our final and we have a final that... Okay, not everybody wanted, but most people wanted. All right, if you can, if as a neutral, if you can orchestrate a situation where you have two of the great teams featuring two of the world's great players, Argentina and uh, Brazil, Messi and Neymar, that's what you want. With all due respect to uh, Colombia and Peru, who were in the semifinals, this is the marquee matchup. We got what we wanted. The stars showed up on both sides. Uh, both Messi and Neymar have had a really, really good tournaments, Messi in particular. And we finally get to have them meet. They are going to meet this Saturday at the Maracana in uh, Rio de Janeiro. Honestly, we were, uh, we were actually interested about the Maracana. And, you know, I, I worked a, a World Cup in Brazil many years ago. And, you know, the, the, the history and tradition of that great uh, of that great stadium. But you were telling us that um, because now it holds something around seventy or eighty thousand people. But there was a time uh, back in the sixties and before that where it actually held upwards of two hundred thousand people. And I know you have a story about uh, about the stadium because we were asking you about it and uh, what your history was with it. Well, yeah, uh, my dad went to a match nineteen sixty nine uh, Brazil Paraguay World Cup qualifier. Brazil won one nil on a goal by Pele, uh, which uh, the attendance that day was one hundred and eighty three thousand. Uh, but the 1950, the infamous defeat to Uruguay, you know, it's hard to pin down an exact number, but uh, there were reports that it was around 200,000 people. But yeah, the, the stadium has been getting gradually smaller. Uh, it's actually, you know, Brazil have hosted so many major uh, events from the Pan American Games, Olympics, the World Cups, and each time you had, they have to renovate it and meet all the specifications and it invariably leads to getting smaller. And I was telling you and Mo, uh, there's a whole section they got rid of that was called the Geral, which is 
uh, this circle, like field level. And I sent you guys pictures of how many people used to cram into that <laughs> Jet Alpha games. And it's unbelievable. But that, that whole section. I mean, look, there, there, was, there was no fire code. There was no safety <laughs> restrictions or anything. Basically, if you had a heartbeat, you would find a way into the game. I don't know how many paid or didn't pay, but they were just packed like sardines. I think at a, at a certain point, you just wanted to say you were there, whether you were able to see <laughs> anything, uh, anything or not. So an incredible history and storied uh, history when it comes to everything that has happened with that stadium and we find ourselves back again. Now, the unfortunate thing, and, and has not changed through all this tournament, is that there will be no fans. But we will have these two great teams facing off and these two great uh, players facing it off. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about, in our, uh, in our Ask Alexi segment, about um, the the marketing, if you will, of a game like this. All right, Masi, so we have uh, we have uh, Brazil and Argentina. Um, you are our resident Brazilian. Um, are you feeling bullish and confident? Because I think it's theirs to lose. I've said that's from the start. Nothing has changed my mind. Uh, Brazil, playing at home, playing in the America now, with all the depth that they have, with what I have seen already through this, uh, through this tournament, with, yes, a reliance on Neymar, but I don't think even close to as heavily reliant on Neymar as Argentina is reliant on Messi. So are you as confident as I am that this is a Brazil uh, title, and their, which would be their 10th and record-breaking uh, Copa America title if they were to win it? Uh, I am not. Uh, I have spent the last month Ooh. on this podcast uh, pushing back against this notion that this Brazil team is anything special, that they're miles above the competition. I said before the tournament even started that if Brazil faced Argentina, to me it would be a 50-50, uh, and that's still how I feel after watching both teams play six matches at this tournament. Um, Brazil's one trump card, I guess, would be that they're very difficult to score against, uh, very solid at the back. Although even there, Tim Vickery, uh, who has never been a big Thiago Silva fan, uh, is advocating that Eder Militão should start uh, instead of Thiago Silva. He thinks that Thiago Silva's lack of pace at this age could be an issue. He pointed to that play early in the second half of the semis when Lapadula kind of skipped past him with ease and took a shot that Ederson had to parry. Uh, so victory, I guess, isn't completely sold that this Thiago Silva Marquinhos, uh, combo is as rock solid as we all seem to think it is. Uh, but I, I still think that's where Brazil have an edge over Argentina, um, in, you know, the goalkeeping, the, the, the center back pairing and with Casemiro in front of them, it's just a very difficult team to score against. They can absorb pressure if they have to. Uh, well, Argentina, uh, you need less chances to score against Argentina than you do to score against Brazil, I guess would be the better way to phrase it. So that would be the one edge for me. But I mean, overall, I, I actually like, uh, I think Argentina have more weapons that they can hurt you with uh, offensively. They, they've gotten what, what Brazil have been searching for in this tournament, which is that, that center forward uh, to, to emerge to be that other goal scorer to take some of the pressure off Neymar. Uh, Brazil haven't found that. Uh, well, Argentina have with Lautaro Martinez, who scored in uh, the last three games. You know, Papo Gomez scored a couple of times in this tournament. Um, so I, I do think Argentina have other weapons. I like the way this little partnership Messi has forged with Lo Celso in the midfield, although you could argue Neymar and Paqueta showed some glimpses of that as well in, in Brazil's semifinal. But just overall, that midfield with Lo Celso and Rodrigo de Paul, and we'll see if he starts Leandro Paredes or Guido Rodriguez, which would be an interesting uh, reflection of how he views this match because Paredes is, the, is a better distributor of the ball. Guido Rodriguez more of a destroyer. So it'd be interesting to see which way Scaloni goes on that. But I, I guess, I mean, my overall point here is I, I, don't, I don't share your view that Brazil are solid favorites here and it's theirs to lose. To me, it's a 50-50. 
I, I will say this. Um, I, 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 when I look at the, the path that Brazil has taken to, to get to the final, it is easier than the Argentine path. And when we talked, and we have, we've had a bunch of discussions on air this week about this, this pragmatism, uh, if you will, and a beautiful pragmatism, or, or my, I guess it's more of a, the balance that we have started to see from Brazil and to a certain extent from a lot of teams in South America and, uh, and Argentina. I will say, and I know it's different competition uh, as, a, you know, as opposed to Argentina facing a Colombia you know, Brazil versus Paraguay, even though the, they didn't run up the score or anything, it never felt like it was in danger of getting away from uh, from Brazil, at least at least to me. That's the way that I felt. And maybe that comes from the depth and the balance and, you know, some of the, the recognition that even if you have to, you know, get down and dirty and defend and win win ugly, that's still OK, even for a team like Brazil, because there's still plenty of uh, plenty of flair. I will say, though, when it came to the Argentina Colombia game, there were moments there where it, it it very very easily could have gotten away from Argentina, and I felt like that maturity that we that we talked about it was it, it was not to be found or it was abandoned uh, at times during that game. It got wide open with all sorts of stuff that could have gone wrong for Argentina. Ultimately, it uh, it, it it didn't. Um, all right, so. So you're not as bullish then as I am uh, when it comes to Brazil. And by the way, the Gabriel Jesus suspension is a big deal. People are getting that wrong. I know Paqueta came in and played well, but the like-for-like replacement for Jesus in that semifinal was Everton, who uh, did not play that well down that right flank and was a drop-off from Jesus. Paqueta essentially came in for Firmino, obviously different types of players, so it meant a little bit of a change in formation, but... Um, so I don't view it as a Paqueta versus Jesus. And if if Jesus had been available for this final, I suspect they both would have started. Jesus would have come in for Everton. Paqueta would have stayed. So it would have been the front four would have been uh, Jesus on the right, Richarlison on the left, and then Neymar and Paqueta floating centrally there. Uh, but instead, it's going to be Everton, who is a player who had a, had a great Copa America in, in 2019, scored in the final against uh, Peru and earned the penalty. Um, and a player who I like, who I had high hopes for in this tournament, but he has not played well. And it's actually, an, Jesus is an underrated loss defensively because he's done a tremendous job tracking back down that right flank and helping Danilo. And Everton is not as adept at doing that. So that, that, so that Jesus, it was sort of, I even heard some jokes about, oh, this is actually a blessing for Brazil. And, and I don't see that at all. I, I think that's actually a significant loss. All right. In the inevitable, um, narratives uh, when it comes to these two teams and obviously uh, the great players that, that they have what has what has impressed you I mean if we can be any more impressed with these great players uh, when it comes to Neymar and Messi I mean where to begin I'll do Messi first uh, I do think this is the best I've ever seen him play for Argentina uh, it's it just I mean it, just the the leadership skills, just the all around. I mean, he's getting stuck in in the midfield and 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 winning balls back, and just his ability to ride challenges and 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 you know the the playmaking ability, his vision, the passing, and then still being able to pop up and and score goals. Uh, I mean, it's just it's 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 hard to imagine a player doing more for a team. He, he's had a, a his hand on all 11 goals they've scored in this tournament, which is incredible. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's the best player I've ever seen, and he's at the absolute peak of his powers right now. So, I mean, it's been amazing to watch. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it on air where it, there there is a, 
a joy, and it's not as if he has never played with joy before, but relative to playing for Argentina, we know that there is a history where it has seemed like a burden to him. And he, he has not played or looked like it is something that he is having fun doing. It's much more of a chore than a gift. And I think that, you know, whether it is just he sees the end in sight and he wants to make the most of the opportunity, whether it is the supporting cast he feels more confident in around him and or whether it's, you know, the coach or just the whole setup. And we know, you know, the lack of dysfunction um, and and difficulty and challenge and drama and um, and I guess uh, composure and maturity just within the Argentina camp which has long been a dysfunctional type of place, that's, that's a good thing. So I just think that he, he looks comfortable on the field and maybe what is going on around this team off the field is making him feel comfortable. And, you know, you can just go by the numbers if you, if you want, but the eye test, anybody that is watching this, you are seeing him play um, in a way that we haven't in a long time. And that's, that's great. That's great, not just for this opportunity that he has right now, but, you know, knock on wood from an Argentina perspective, they qualify and we see him in yet another, another world cup. I'm not so sure that, that he's going to get an opportunity to raise a trophy a, a year and a half from now in Qatar. So this is a huge, another huge, huge opportunity, but we've seen this movie before and we've seen it where it ends in, in failure and it ends in tears for him as he, continues this effort to check this box that, as we said before, for a lot of people, he needs to. Um, and so, you know, so ultimately, is this, do you think this is his best chance to check that box in terms of raising a major trophy? Yeah, um, I I like this Argentina team. I like Scaloni. I think they're headed in the right path, but not to the degree where I think they're going to win a World Cup realistically in Qatar. Uh, so, this to me. And then I suspect he'll probably retire from the national team after that world cup. So I think this is, this is it. He's one game away in 90 minutes. And I think this is his shot at getting that trophy. Well, we talked about, um, you know, this is another opportunity for, for Neymar also uh, to win, to win at home. Now there's no fans and I, it's a pity that there's no fans. And I, I am interested that the moment when we are seeing not the greatest version, but a really, really good version of Messi coincides with a tournament that does not have fans. If that plays into it, I don't know. I, I don't know. But, you know, these, these, these games, I mean, especially last night's uh, semifinal with Argentina and Colombia, it, it deserved fans. They all deserve fans. But, you know, we, we, we deal with the, uh, the cards that we are uh, given, as does uh, all the teams and the, and the players right now. But, um, you know, I, oh, hold on. You have something to say? Well, are, are we still on the messy Neymar? Because we did messy. We haven't really touched on Neymar. But you can. All right. Let's talk about your friend Neymar. I, and before we, before we talk, I love the fact that Neymar very publicly came out before the Argentina-Columbia uh, game and said, you know, with a smile, but said, we want Argentina and we are going to beat Argentina. The, the sense of... Um, of of drama and performance and entertainer and um, the theatrical part of sports, I think was on display there. He understands it. And so often we see players and teams 
downplay something like that. And he came right out and, and said it. It's what we as the public want to see. And it's what they do. And it, we are seeing two artists right now, uh, very, very different artists in the way that they go about their business. As I said last night, you know, uh, Messi wants to beat you and humble you in the process. Neymar wants to beat you and embarrass you in the process. And they have both done it throughout this tournament in uh, in wonderful and different ways. But, you know, I, I, uh, I compared it to two great artists who need each other and feed each other. Lennon, uh, McCartney, um, and who else? I, 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 uh, I, met, I, I used a, a wrestling reference with uh, The Rock and Stone Cold or Pacino and De Niro. These types of, uh, of artists that are going back and forth and creating works of art that inspire and motivate the other. And you saw that in the way that Neymar has played, but also in the way that he reacted saying, yeah, bring it. This is who I want to face in that, uh, in, in that final. I thought that was really, really interesting, but I think it's really, really important. And I think it shows that while they are athletes, they also understand that there is a theatrical aspect to what they are doing. And it, it plays into the way that they, uh, that they, that they think about the, you know, the, uh, the next opponent and the opportunity. I mean, Ness, Neymar, and Brazil, they don't give two craps about the fact that that Messi hasn't won. As a matter of fact, they would love nothing more than in that moment to be there holding up the the, the trophy in the Maracanã with the confetti coming down and and seeing the tears uh, of Messi. So they don't want to ha- they don't want it to happen on uh, on their watch. And they're all for narratives and stuff like that. But they would love nothing more than to win yet another. Uh, yeah, just one point on Neymar, and then I want to rattle off a few stats, and then we'll we'll be on our way. Uh, I, I think he's been absolutely sensational in this tournament. That second half against Chile, where Brazil was down a man and, and kind of holding on there, um, you know, there, there's an a, expression, American football field position, and people don't use it so much with soccer, but I'm going to use it here. Neymar single-handedly reversed the field position in that game. Uh, the amount of times where he picked up the ball in Brazil's half and went on these slalom runs to the other side of the field. And at the end, maybe it didn't come off the play, but it still, it, 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 it gave Brazil's defenders a chance to rest. It, it forced Chile to uh, expend some energy in trying to win the ball back. And, and he single-handedly changed the feel of that game where you, you would have thought with Brazil down a man, it was just going to be an entire half of Chile uh, creating chance after chance and Brazil holding on for dear life. And, and for a few minutes, it looked like it was going that way. And then Neymar said, no, 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 no. And, and it, it ended up where Brazil down a man created as many chances as Chile did in the second half of that game. And it was all down to him, him just constantly picking up the ball and driving it to the other side of the field. And, and I, I, that second half just blew my mind how well he played. And yeah, he's been very good in this tournament with one caveat though. Um, he, he's been pretty wasteful in front of goal. Um, you know, give credit to Galese, but still that, that chance he missed in the first half of the same final, he's got to put that away. And we've seen it with PSG, even some of his best performances for PSG, the last couple of seasons, that quarterfinal in the Champions League against Atalanta, the quarterfinal second leg against Bayern Munich, uh, this past season, there's that. Yeah, but yeah, he was sensational, but he didn't score and he missed chances and man, Saturday, he can't afford to miss a chance like that. Like he missed against Peru that, that saved by Galassi and then Richarlison, 
uh, with the rebound, Galassi, and, and that was a great save by Galassi. That wasn't Richarlison's fault. But the initial one, I'm putting that on Neymar. He shot it right at Galassi. I don't know. I mean, he had an entire uh, side of the goal to to slot it in. And and so that, that you know, we, we talk about the small margins in these finals, and I think this final is a 50-50. And it could come down to that. If Neymar is, is I'm sure he'll be dazzling and create all these chances for himself. But if he has one of these days where he's wasteful and he misses a couple of chances like that, that could be the difference between Brazil winning and losing this final. So he's got to be more clinical in front of goal. All right, so when it all comes down to it, because next time we talk here on the State of the Union, these uh, these games will be over. I am picking Brazil over Argentina. Are you doing the thing where you take Argentina to just so you don't jinx it? Is that what's happening here? Yeah, I'm picking Argentina. I kind of think there's a destiny thing happening here. Uh, keep in mind, I said I was going to rattle off a few stats. Uh, Brazil have only lost one competitive match at the Maracanã. It was the infamous 1950 defeat to Uruguay with 200,000 people. Uh, Pele, uh, 77 international goals. That's the most by South American player. Messi is now at 76. Imagine if he were to score the game winner at the Maracana to beat Brazil and in doing so tied or, or, or if he scored multiple goals surpassed Pele in this match. So, I mean, the stage is set for it to just be a delicious victory for Argentina and, and Messi and Argentina do have, we talk about the, the, the big monkey they have of winning that first senior trophy since 1993, but even with Brazil, um, the 1993 Copa America quarterfinals, Argentina eliminated Brazil on penalties. That's the last time Argentina eliminated Brazil in the knockout stage of a major tournament. Six times they've crossed paths since then, and it's been four Brazil wins and two Brazil advancements on penalties, including this epic 2004 Copa America final, which I'm sure we'll show video of on Saturday, where 2-2 Brazil won on penalties. Adriano scored this last gasp equalizer to send it to penalties. A heartbreaking defeat for Argentina. Uh, Argentina have not beaten Brazil in a competitive match since 2005, a World Cup qualifier in Buenos Aires, a Juan Roman Riquelme masterclass, which I remember well. But since then, it's been all Brazil when they've met in qualifying or Copa Americas. And last one, Messi, five competitive matches against Brazil in his career. Zero goals, zero assists, zero wins in those five games. He's scored in friendlies, so he's kind of dressed up his numbers against Brazil. And Argentina have won their fair share of friendlies against Brazil, so it keeps the head-to-head close. But don't be fooled. When it comes to competitive matches, it's it's been all Brazil lately. So so Argentina do have that psychological barrier to get past. But <laughs> how the hell are you picking I think they Argentina? Will. This is, this what is, is your problem? Is, oh, my goodness. Uh, well, either way, it's going to be fun. We can't wait to... Uh, uh, bring it to people, and uh, as I said, you know, you 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 go about picking your ideal final from a television perspective and from a neutral perspective, and this is what uh, we have wanted, and we got it. The stars did their job, uh, the big teams did their job, and now we get to feast upon this uh, on Saturday, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. Either way, there's going to be some some history, uh, and either way, there's going to be hopefully um, some some beauty within the pragmatism that uh, seems to have crept into uh, both of these teams. All right. Shall we uh, transition over to the other final uh, or the, well, the final, it's not quite decided <laughs> today, but will be decided here in the next uh, a couple hours over there in Europe. Let's do it. All right. So uh, this, this little plucky Italian team that burst on the scene in the, uh, in the Euros and ooed and awed us in the way that they, uh, in a unique way, in the unique way in that they were anything but an Italian team. They were exciting. They were dynamic. They were interesting. Maybe in the way that we've talked about uh, Brazil, 
they weren't completely devoid of their past or a understanding of how to play the game. As a matter of fact, uh, there came time in the tournament when we actually saw them almost revert to form. But uh, having said that, you know, this is a, I don't know if it's a, it's a team of destiny, and I'm not sure that that everybody thought that they would find themselves in the final. But this is an Italian team that I think everybody, whether you're an Italian fan or not, can be excited to watch because of uh, what they bring. Is that a fair and accurate assessment, I think, uh, in terms of the way that they are coming out of this tournament, regardless of what happens in the final? Yeah, well, what's interesting about this semifinal against Spain is that Italy throughout this tournament have been very expansive. They've controlled games. They've possessed the ball very well. And then in coming up against Spain, who are the ultimate possession masters, you wondered, well, you know, who was going to have more of the ball? And it, it, the buildup to the game was all about these two competing midfields and Verratti and Jorginho and Barella going up against uh Pedri and Busquets and uh, Coque and 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 who's going to sort of win that possession battle? And it became very clear early on for Italy that yeah, they, we're not going to be able to <laughs> retain the ball in this game. So they completely abdicated possession. Spain ended up with seventy something percent and and really bossed the majority of this game. I thought Spain were terrific. Uh, so Italy, as you said, this has been a different Italian team, but in this match, they kind of reverted back to their old traditional style and, uh, and ended up advancing on penalties. And Roy Smith, I thought, wrote a great piece about that. He said, you know, the, the brilliance of what Mancini's done here is that he's added all these layers of expansiveness, but without taking away that grit and that ability to defend. So they've ended up with the best of both worlds. They managed to play uh, a certain way against uh, inferior teams and to, to dominate and to impose themselves. But when they came up against a team as good or better in terms of possessing the ball, they were able to switch and, and, and go to, and, and, you know, in a different way, sort of figure out a way to get through the match. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, very impressive and, and they deserve to be in this final um, uh, because of what they've done throughout the tournament. I, I do think Spain was the better team on the day uh, and, and Spain are going to be really cursing their luck. Um, and, and by the way, they, Spain come out of this tournament very strengthened as well. There were a lot of questions about Luis Enrique and, and the players he chose. I was down on Spain going in, but, but they played some, some lovely soccer. They remain the, the one country that to me has sort of the clearest idea of how they want to play. Uh, you know, we talk about countries having an identity and that's a word that's thrown around a lot and oftentimes doesn't really mean anything. Spain have an identity, different managers come and go, different players come and go, but they've established a certain way of playing going on 15 years now that you know how Spain are going to play. And it's a style I love. I know People like to deride possessions numbers, but I, I'm a big believer in having the ball and controlling games and their ability to do that is amazing to me. Uh, they just at this tournament lacked an end product when it mattered. They, they do need to find a center forward and, and, and they were a little shaky. They were frankly, they were shaking both areas. I didn't love their center back play. Uh, it, it, teams didn't have to create a whole lot to score goals against them. So that it was an issue in that, that end. And then we know Morata and all the troubles he had at the other end. Um, and so that ended up biting them, but I, I still love the way they play. And if they can figure out <laughs> improving both areas, because what they have in the midfield is, I mean, Pedri, they've uncovered an absolute gem of a player. He is just a superstar uh, that they can build that midfield around for the next many, many years. So, uh, so yeah, I think Spain come out of this tournament feeling good about themselves, but yeah, Italy off to the final. It's so interesting in the way you just framed that because we talked so much, uh, we all talked, it's an evergreen type of topic about identity and style of play and can you identify it and can you see it? And more importantly, is it something that you are married to uh, or you, do, you, do, do you betray it at the first sign of challenge or problem? And this, you know, the way that you were talking about this, this, this Spanish team, 
is that exactly what you're saying. They will, um, they will, they will die on that hill of possession, knowing that they are going to come up at times against teams that they will completely outpossess, and they will try to kill by a thousand little cuts. And yet they're going to get that one opportunity and something's going to go wrong in this in the way that it did against uh, Italy and they will lose the game. But I think to to your point, they are true believers in that this is the this is the way for us to play. This is the best way for us to play. Even if we lose, we will not betray that. And I I love that. I, I mean, I love when you see something like that. But. You know, you framed it, and it has been framed by others when it comes to this Italian team that burst on the scene and showed us an identity and made us believe that that was their identity. You're framing it as, well, it's just a proper balance. And look, we're doing the same thing over in uh, in, in Copa America with uh, with these teams. And, you know, some we talk about pragmatism, but there, there comes a point, too, where is there honor in just running straight into a... Uh, a a line of gunfire, you know, and getting and getting mowed down, not necessarily, uh, but you know, for, but I just I, I'm just always interested in the way that it, it, it's framed. In one sense, it's you're betraying your identity if you do that, and the other sense, it's you're just being really smart and, and having a plan you B. You can't do, huh? and having that? a plan B. You know, you hear that expression, and having a, and having a plan B. And I, I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, I understand the importance of having a plan B, especially in a tournament situation where, for the most part, people don't care how you advance as long as you advance. And I guess the question to our listeners and viewers is, do you care? Do, do you ultimately care how your team plays in order to get those results? And I think for a lot of uh, of Spanish football, Spanish players, Spanish teams, all of that kind of stuff, it does matter. And they do care because I think it, it it cuts to the core of who they are, not just as a soccer playing nation, but who they are as people. And they they find pride in the fact that they don't betray it. And you know, Italy. I mean, from even even when it was a classic Italy, it was a recognition that it's not necessarily going to be pretty to the rest of the world. But there's going to be a beauty in the way that we are we are doing it. And this team that we thought had had moved past that or gone away from that. Um, ends up reverting um, and being Italian in the most important moments. Yet that's not portrayed as a betrayal. Uh, it's portrayed as, I guess, being smart. Interesting. Um, okay, as we said, the other uh, semifinal is happening here in a couple of uh, couple of hours. Uh, who do you got going through in that uh, Denmark England game? England. Okay. Is it even a question? Yes, uh, Denmark are a very good team. Because England's make involved, it it's a question. <laughs> as, as, as Roger Bennett said recently, I thought it was a great line, England never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. <laughs> yep. So you never know. But, uh, but I, I do think they're the better team. They're at home, which uh, I know the amount of home games that England has gotten to play at this tournament, you, you do have a bit of an issue with. You feel like it takes a little bit away from this uh, run of theirs, no? Look, home teams have used the the home situation to their uh, to their advantage. But what they've played, this is you know this is supposed to be a Euros. I mean, when, before COVID and everything, this was going to be this multi nation type of situation, and, and it still was to a certain extent, where games were being played all over the place. And really, that home field advantage was not going to come up come up until later on in the tournament. But what they've played one game away. Every other game has been in England right. for England. 
Okay, I mean, then just post the damn thing and get it over with. <laughs> uh, but they look good. They they look good. It's uh, it's fun watching this team. There's an energy and a confidence. But you know, to your point, you know, England will will find ways to England, <laughs> and at the worst possible moment. So it it it's been coming home the whole tournament because they're playing there basically the whole tournament. But we'll see if it, it it actually is coming home. It was interesting to hear in the presser Schmeichel talk about. Um, the goalkeeper for Denmark uh, talk about uh, whether it actually was coming home or not. And, you know, given a little poke here, here or there, because they, they are the underdogs, but they also are for a lot of the, you know, the, uh, the neutrals out there, a, a favorite given what they have overcome uh, through this tournament to, to be there. And as I said before, you know, when England was playing against Germany, there are as many people who want England to lose just because they're England as want England, uh, as want England to win. And I bet you there are a lot of Denmark fans here uh, in the next couple, a couple hours that aren't necessarily Danes and aren't necessarily anybody that's followed Denmark, but just the fact that they are playing England and the, you know, the schadenfreude and all the different things that, uh, that go on when England is, uh, England is playing. So we can't wait for that game. Uh, so you predict, uh, England going through. So if you have an England, uh, and this Italian team final in Wembley in England again, by the way, uh, I mean, it's, it's gotta be coming home, right? (sighs) Um, yes, uh, 50, 50, but if I was forced to make a pick in that game, I would pick England. Yeah. It has been, look, it, it has been a, a good tournament, uh, and, and even a great tournament in terms of all the stories and, and, you know, the fact that they have had, they have had crowds and I know I'm making fun of, uh, you know, the home fields and all that kind of stuff, but the fact that there have been crowds, uh, we've seen some wonderful goals. We've seen some, some great drama, um, and, you know, for a tournament that started out on such a, uh, a sad and scary note with uh, 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 Christian Eriksen and that, uh, you know, that moment. And thankfully, he looks to be better from a physical perspective. Um, we find ourselves here with all sorts of stories and all sorts of exciting things uh, to talk about when it comes to uh, the Euros. All right. Anything else uh, when it comes to, to that before we head on into uh, a break here and come back with some MLS stuff? That's it. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, like I said, uh, we'll take a real quick trip around the MLS world, which continues to uh, soldier on here through this summer of soccer. Don't go away. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we're back. And uh, let's take a look at uh, some MLS stuff that's going on, Mossy. We have our first casualty when it comes to uh, coaching situations up there in uh, well not up there actually down there in Florida Toronto Toronto FC which is like all the Canadian teams been playing their entire season so far down in the lower 48 Toronto's down in Florida Chris Armis who was hired um, after being fired by the Red Bulls I don't know mid season last year found himself to Toronto 
and uh, six months into the gig, and what has to be said, uh, a complete and utter failure in terms of results, gets his uh, marching papers. Now, listen, I know, and I've said this before, we, we, we in the sports world, when it comes to firing and sacking, we look at it as sport. You know, there are human beings involved in all of this. I, I never want to take any glee or satisfaction um, or minimize the fact that somebody is losing their jobs. And I know they're getting payouts and all that kind of stuff, but you're still losing your job. And, and that, that hurts for, for anybody. And it's not just the person losing the job. Uh, it's, it's the family, it's reputation. It's all of those uh, different things. And, you know, Chris Armas is uh, a wonderful person. And I think he's a, a good coach. We'll see if he finds another, uh, uh, another gig going forward, but this is not good on his uh, on his resume. I'm sure there's all sorts of things behind the scenes that have gone on that if you talk to Chris Armas, uh, he would uh, he would point you. But ultimately, Chris Armas, like any other coach, understands that they are there uh, to get results with the team. And this team, uh, with the amount of money that they spend and the talent that they have, has failed. And um, I know to a certain extent, I give these, these Canadian teams a a pass because of the unique aspect of what's going on. Not having, I mean, Chris Armas will never have coached a game actually in Canada, which is, which is nuts, but it's the world that we, uh, that we live in. And then you go to DC and you lose seven to one. And the way that you lost, this team has quit on Chris Armas. Uh, the situation behind the scenes when it comes to uh, uh, Bill Manning and to Ali Curtis uh, the leadership behind the scenes and the situation with Josie Altador, who has not been part of the team and has been training on his own, that needed to be s- sorted out. And you can say, well, this or that. It doesn't matter. Sort it out. That's your job is to sort it out. And that was a problem from the start. And you should have anticipated it and you should have dealt with it. And they haven't dealt with it. And ultimately, this team is too good. It spends too much money, has too much talent to be getting the results uh, that it is getting. So they've made uh, they've made a move, a move there. I don't know. They might just write off the rest of this this season, given the situation right now, and just take their time. Um, but this is a team that spends money, like I said, and I, this is a team I think that will continue to spend money, whether it's the players on the field or whether it's uh, their coaches. And so, don't be surprised if Toronto goes and gets a bigger name and spends money to bring in what they feel is uh, is quality and the type of coach that they feel is going to live up. Will Josie Altador be a part going forward? I don't know, but that's that situation certainly has to be uh, has to be sorted out. Anything on that, Mossy? Well, a couple of things. Uh, first off, um, he threw everybody off the scent by eliminating Leon um, in the uh, CCL, which was an amazing achievement considering yeah. all the players they had out in those two games. Um, but uh, I, I said this before on the podcast, I'll reiterate it. Uh, the, the biggest winner in this MLS season so far has been Greg Vanny, because you look at what's happened to the team he left and you look at uh, how much the team he's inherited has improved under him. So uh, it's been remarkable to watch the differing fortunes of the Galaxy and Toronto. Look at where those teams were in the standings last season and then look at where they are now. And the change is Vanny leaving one place and going to the other. So very impressive. It's, uh, I mean, look, Toronto is sitting in last place now, 14th out of 14 teams in the Eastern, uh, Eastern Conference. One win in their 11 games played, eight losses, uh, two ties. And as I, as I mentioned, they are playing down there in Florida. But you know who else is playing down in Florida? Montreal, okay. And, uh, and, 
uh, Vancouver, who's also sitting in last place, is playing out in uh, in Utah. Uh, at the other end of the table, you got New England, which continues to roll along. Orlando up there uh, at the top. Bruce Arena and with what he is doing in New England, uh, that's great. Congratulations to my friends in uh, in Columbus who opened uh, their uh, their brand new stadium, and uh, it looks beautiful from afar, and I can't wait to get there and see what it is and, and do that compare and contrast with everything, but it looks awesome, and uh, you got yourself a, a cathedral, a church, whatever you want to uh, call it, but certainly a place that is going to last for many, many years and provide incredible, uh, uh, incredible moments. Seattle, I mean, we are, we are 11 games, 11, 12 games into the season for most teams here, and, you know, because of the, the parody and the manufactured parody, it is rare that you find 11, 12 games into a season, a team that has not uh, lost. And yet Seattle just continues to roll on the lone team in Major League Soccer without a uh, loss. 12 straight unbeaten games to start the season. So Seattle uh, is, is cruising along. Doesn't necessarily mean they're in first place. They have 26 points. They're tied with Kansas City. 12 games played, seven wins, zero losses, as we mentioned, and uh, and five ties. Still the cream of the crop when it comes to their ability to generate points on a consistent basis. You know what? Uh, speaking of Seattle, uh, Moadu showed me a picture the other day of Jordan Morris, who is, is out for the year with a, a knee injury, actually you know, running around and juggling a soccer ball a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean he's coming back or anything like that, but it, it's, it, it, it warms my heart to see uh, a player who once again is going to miss a, a chunk of time. Uh, at least his rehab seems to be going uh, well. Who knows if we ever see uh, Jordan Morris back at the levels in which we have seen, whether it, whether it uh, works out for him, either from a Seattle perspective or a national team perspective, but at least from an optics perspective, it looked, uh, it looked pretty good. Um, all right, see, what else do you want to talk about here, uh, Mossy? The Galaxy, who you mentioned, Greg Vanny, who is definitely up, I would think, is up for... Uh, coach of the year, they go into Kansas City and uh, not only do they lose, but they actually lose Chicharito, who got hurt. And so that's we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, Sporting KC, which just year in and year out uh, does the job, uh, is wonderful. And Peter Vermes is just... It's not a magician because he knows exactly what he is doing, and there's not it's, there's there's not a magic wand that he is wa- uh, he is waving, but he he does more with uh, with less, and he does it year after year after year. What else you want to talk about here, Mossy? When it comes to MLS, no, I mean you you hit it. Uh, LAFC get a win over RSL. They're starting to creep up the standings. They're up to fifth. Um, uh, New York Red Bulls, they had a nice win over Orlando. Uh, Fabio uh, scoring a goal. He, he's had a really nice season, the Brazilian. Uh, I mentioned uh, Thiago Andrade, who's youngster is doing very well for NYCFC. And the Red Bulls have a, a pretty good young Brazilian of their own. So uh, that's nice to see. Uh, you mentioned LAFC. Uh, LAFC is hosting the MLS All-Star Game, which actually we will be broadcasting Um so, yeah, we're not only doing the, the All-Star game, but there's going to be a skills challenge, too. So that's going to be uh, fun. They're bringing back the skills challenge. We did that years and years ago. So I'll, I'll look forward to that. They just came out with the, uh, the, the uniforms that the, uh, the team, team MLS, I guess, will be wearing. They are they're black. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a whole 
paragraph that explains what the, the different shades of black mean. But <laughs> they're, they're pretty much black, none more black. Uh, so you can uh, you can check those out. Um, there was okay, oh yeah the uh, we t- we had talked last week about the investigation that was going on when it came to Minnesota for alleged uh, uh, racial abuse and uh, racist racist comments from player to uh, player uh, that involved uh, the Portland Timbers and. Uh, Diego Chara up there. The investigation, as we mentioned last week, happened and they could find nothing to corroborate any type of, uh, 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 to corroborate any of the, uh, the allegations. And so it was, it was closed. You know, in the absence of proof, there's very little, unfortunately, that you can do. And just because you know, something is, is found not guilty doesn't mean that somebody is uh, is innocent ultimately, but you know you you want these investigations to happen. They did, so there will be no sanctioned for no sanctions levied against Minnesota uh, or against um, the player involved uh, going forward. Because we wanted to button that one up from uh, from last week. Um, all right, so as you know, as I mentioned. Uh, the games continue on. There's a bunch of midweek games when it comes to Major League Soccer. Anything before we move on, Mossy? You want to hit MLS? No, no. But I mean, we have a perfect segue here to another international tournament, which features 57 MLS players. So uh, if you want to go there next, you want to go to uh, to Gold Cup because, as I mentioned, it's it's happening. It's coming, and I'm excited about it. And it's coming starting on Saturday, the Copa America final and the beginning of, uh, of Gold Cup. There are uh, storylines galore. There are, as you mentioned, MLS players all over the place. And by the way, you know, I was talking about Toronto a, a little bit ago. They're going to lose a lot of players too uh, for the Canadian team. So there, there, are, there are players that you can, uh, you can follow. And I'm excited for, uh, for, this tournament, uh, for this tournament to happen. I'm excited to see what this U.S. team looks like. I'm excited to see what this Mexico team looks like. I am, and speaking of Canada, I'm excited to see what this Canada team looks like because I'm, you know, at, at, while we sit here in this moment, we are so confident, and rightfully so, about the amount of talent that the U.S. men's national team has. I think that, in, in a strange way, there hasn't been a more confident Canadian setup when it comes to the men's side in a long time with the amount of talent uh, that they have. So, uh, where do you want to start here? When it let, let me just go through the groups here uh, as they stand right now because we even had preliminaries happening over the last couple of days to finish this groups. So these groups weren't finished until late yesterday. You have Group A uh, featuring Mexico, El Salvador, Curaçao, and Trinidad-Tobago. You have Group B featuring the United States, Canada, Martinique, and Haiti. You have Group C featuring Costa Rica, Jamaica, Suriname, and Guadeloupe. And you have Group D featuring Honduras, Panama, Grenada, and guest Qatar. So a lot of interesting uh, teams and interesting interesting players. Uh, the locations for these games. There are games being played in Houston. There are games that are being played in Orlando. There are games that are being played in Kansas City. There are games that are being played in Frisco, Texas. There are games that are being played at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Um, 
there are games that are being played in AT&T Stadium in Arlington. So a lot of different venues. The final, as we know, is in the great city of Las Vegas. It is already sold out. I think uh, there's a lot of people anticipating that Mexico is going to be in that final. A lot of people. Uh, we, we talk about the Brazil-Argentina matchup in the ideal. A lot of people, including yours truly, would love to see another U.S.-Mexico matchup in, uh, in Las Vegas. A lot of work to do. This is a U.S. team that has not had very much time together and is sort of just being being cobbled together. Plenty of talent, but that doesn't necessarily make it a good team. And Mexico's coming with all guns blazing. As I said, uh, Canada is. Uh, you got your Costa Ricas and your Hondurases and Panamas that we know so well from qualifying. So this is, this is going to be fun. Uh, from a U.S. perspective, the first game will be against Haiti, and that will be on uh, July 11th. So Sunday, and that will be in Kansas City. All three of the group games for the U.S. are in Kansas City at Children's Mercy Park. What are you looking forward to, my friend, uh, when it comes to this Gold Cup? Well, I find it interesting that the U.S. and Mexico are not aligned here. Uh, That Nations League defeat stung. And so Tata Martino is in this to win it. And you look at the squad they brought with Lozano and Corona and Edson Alvarez and Hector Herrera. Um, you know, it's it's pretty close to an A-team. Um, and you get the feeling if Mexico get to the final and lose in the United States, uh, Tata will, will catch a lot of flack for that. While the U.S., having won the Nations League, seems to be approaching this tournament a little bit differently in that it's more about uh, uncovering players and building up uh, depth uh, with an eye towards World Cup qualifying. And I think if the U.S. plays well and certain players emerge and show that they can be useful for World Cup qualifying, but in the end, the U.S. loses a hard-fought final to Mexico, I don't think Greg Berhalter would receive any grief for that. Um, I mean, is that your sense as well? Oh, I don't think so at all. I mean, I think just getting to the final would be an accomplishment with this team. And here's here's the... It's, it's not a problem. I guess it's just the challenge for this group, okay? I've, you know, I've talked before how I think it's disrespectful to call them a B team. But with all of the fame and notoriety and attention, and rightfully so because of the talent of a lot of the players that we saw in Nations League that do play in Europe that are not going to be involved in this, inevitably people are going to look at it as uh, a B team. So here is the challenge that this group has. First off, you have to come together very, very quickly, uh, never having played together. Secondly, if you don't play well, people are just going to say, yeah, well, it was the B team, okay? And you are going to be framed, and it's going to be difficult for you to escape that. If you play well, and you find yourself going to a final, and you're facing Mexico, whether you win or not, like to your point, I, I, I don't think is, is going to be um, part of the equation. But getting there, Now you start to turn heads because, to your point, you can argue that this is much more competitive and this is much more a difficult task for a team. And if you were to get to that final, if you were to play against Mexico, and if you were to beat this Mexico national team in a historic type of situation, which is what the Gold Cup is, I think that your cachet, I think that your credibility, I think that your relevance skyrockets. So this team has everything to gain and to a certain extent, I think everything to lose because of the way they are being framed. 
um, not framed like <laughs> you're framing somebody, but the way they are being portrayed. So I, I'm I'm excited about that, but this has to this team has to coalesce very very quickly and figure it out. And it is it is not assured by any stretch of the imagination that they are going to even win their group. Keep in mind that Canada is in their group. They play against Haiti first, then they play against Martinique, and then they play against Canada. And there's a good chance, given the quality that Canada is, that that game against Canada is going to be to win the group, which enables you to avoid Mexico going on in the uh, in, in the later rounds and then meet back up if you go through uh, in that final. So I, I, I think that there are a lot of challenges, even before the challenge of facing a Mexico in a final. Just to get there, this U.S. team is going to have to figure out uh, some ways, as I said, to come together very, very, uh, very, uh, very quickly. But within that, there is great opportunity. There's great opportunity individually, and there is great opportunity for this, this team to produce an identity in and of itself. I mean, for the, the Nations League team turned, turned us on to a real unique identity and personality with that group. Here's an opportunity for this group to do the same way. And for us to say, hey, wow, this is really interesting what we're seeing here. There will be players, and I've said this before, there will be players that we see in this Gold Cup that will feature and feature prominently when it comes to qualifying this fall. And yes, there will be players that will feature a year and a half from now in Qatar in November and December that you will see in this Gold Cup. Speaking of, uh, of Qatar, the guests we get our first look at uh, Qatar. Good luck with that research, my friend. Uh, that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be fun. And I know you and your your team are doing doing a great job as we get ready. As we only have a few days here before this kicks off. But you know, as we know, Qatar hosting the World Cup, they get an automatic bid because they are the uh, the hosts. And this team, the entire team, plays in Qatar. They've had some different loans over the years and different things that they've uh, they've tried to do. But this entire team plays in Qatar, and it'll be really interesting to see what this team looks like in an international competition because they are going to be there, and I would think that they want to, as, as much as the World Cup is an advertisement for the region and for the country, this team is also going to be an advertisement, and they certainly don't want to go out there and look like they, uh, they don't belong. So they, I think this is a good opportunity and really good experience for this Qatar team and an opportunity for us to see what they are all about. No, I agree. Uh, I'm excited to see Qatar. They were supposed to play in the Copa America, actually, and then pulled out because of all the uncertainty with COVID. Uh, but they're doing the right thing. They're trying to line up as many competitive games as they can, facing teams from different regions uh, before that World Cup. Uh, so they're interesting to me. Curacao, who you mentioned, they were supposed to be managed by our former Fox Sports colleague, Gus Hiddink, but he's had some health issues. So it will be Patrick Clivert stepping in uh, for him at this tournament. Um and yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. I mean, just to hop back to some of the main teams for a second, um, with the U.S., uh, I mean, the players I'm most excited to see at this tournament that I think could use this tournament as a springboard to a really big role moving forward would be Daryl D.K., Eric Williamson, and Gianluca Buzio. Is there anybody else that, that, I, that I'm leaving out there that you really have your eye on in this tournament? Uh, Walker Zimmerman, because I think there's opportunities um, in the back. Uh, I don't think that that position next to John Brooks has been solidified and gra grabbed by anybody yet. So, you know, the center back type of situation, I think, is going to be interesting. To your point, up top, we still don't have a number nine. And I, I think everybody is really excited to see what uh, what DK brings and if he can. I mean, it's 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 being given to him. Just take it. Just take it. All right. Um, and so. 
so so that'll be interesting. Uh, you know, Eric Williamson is a really a really interesting type of player because he undeniable talent, but he he glides on the field and he's one of these players and they every night and every nation has them where it is so effortless effortless at times that it looks nonchalant and it looks like it lacks any type of urgency and it looks like you're being casual. And you really have to be careful, I think, from mistaking just a real elegance and grace. You know, Claudio Reyna was, was like this at times. And mistaking that for an apathy or a lack of motivation or, or a lack of urgency. Now, look, it, it's not like he's the best player in the world. It's not like he doesn't make mistakes. He absolutely does. And I think he can get better. But I'm not sure that 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 fire that sometimes we associate with um, uh, with great players is going to manifest in the in 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 the traditional way with a guy like uh, uh, like him. So we'll, we'll see. But I'm I'm real excited to, uh, about that. All right. Anything else? Uh, from a couple my, things. Uh, you mentioned DK and on the center forward tip. Two other players to keep an eye on at this tournament. Uh, for Mexico, I'd argue the biggest story is Rogelio Funes Mori, who uh, is an Argentine-born striker who spent the last several years with Monterrey. Uh, and Mexico now have uh, a center forward problem because of that unfortunate head injury to Raul Jimenez. And, and there's a question mark over uh, whether he's going to be able to come back. And so they're searching for other solutions. And a lot of people wanted to see Chicharito on the squad, given the way he's playing for the Galaxy. Uh, but instead, Tata opts for uh, a countryman of his. Obviously, Tata Martino is Argentine as well. So uh, opts for Rogelio Funes Mori, which is, as we talked about in a recent podcast, has generated some controversy in Mexico and people like Hugo Sanchez mm-hmm. coming out and criticizing that. Uh, but we'll see. He scored in, a, in one of their warm-up games. And if he has a good tournament, he could perhaps solidify that that center forward position for Mexico. So he's a player to keep an eye on. And for Canada, uh, Akinola, who chose to play for Canada over the U.S., no Jonathan David at this tournament. So uh, you do have Kyle Laren there, but I suspect Akinola will receive a lot of playing time as well on this, as you mentioned, very talented Canadian team. You also have Richie Larea and, and Tejan Buchanan and arguably the biggest star in the whole tournament in Alfonso Davies, who I was very pleasantly surprised to see on the roster that Bayern Munich let him play in this Gold Cup. Uh, and, and I've said before, I think Canada's emergence is the most interesting development in CONCACAF of the last few years. Uh, I, they're, to me, fast emerging as that third team. Costa Rica feel like a bit of a spent force. Uh, Honduras can be tough. They gave the U.S. all they could handle in the Nations League, but I don't really see them ever solidifying themselves as that third team. So Canada, to me, have the highest ceiling of any team other than U.S. or Mexico, and, and they're really emerging as that as that next team. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, Funes Mori and Akinola would be two other players I'd definitely have my eye on in this tournament. And, you know, don't overlook Jamaica. They, they're the the Peru of the Gold Cup in that uh, they, they they seem to always go farther <laughs> than people expect. They've been to a couple of finals recently. They have Leon Bailey. So, um, you know, so it should be a fun tournament. I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, and like I said, that kicks off on Saturday, the same day that uh, Copa America finishes. So we will continue on uh, broadcasting <laughs> a whole another whole another month of uh, tournament soccer. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay, we're taking a real quick break. And when we come back, oh, yeah, it's time for Ask Alexi again. Don't go anywhere. I'm Alex Rodriguez. 
And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we're back and it's time for Ask Alexi. And I know in the last couple of weeks, we've used some audio calls. We're going to go back and we're going to use uh, just some actual old school, traditional types of things that, that uh, have peer, uh, appeared on uh, social media. We still have the number. It's still functioning. 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. And you can ask me or ask Mossy. Uh, just ask the State of the Union questions that you have or just leave comments, questions, concerns, whatever uh, it ends up being. We've had some wonderful ones over the last couple of weeks. Um, okay, first off, Mossy, uh, what are we going to go with here? Uh, our, oh, our, our good friend, uh, Jason yes, Wormser. Uh, former colleague of ours who now hosts the very popular Wormcast that I know you've been a guest on. Uh, and, yep. and Jason Wormser, never lacking in opinions, uh, had this to say. Uh, now that soccer teams are allowed five subs plus one in extra time, it's time to dump penalty kicks to the side tournament games. Sudden death, next goal wins, every 15 stop, get a drink, orange slice, and you can add another sub. A very enjoyable Spain versus Italy semifinal had no business ending in penalties. Copa America tonight as well. Obviously referring to Argentina, Colombia. Interesting. Interesting. Um, it, what is interesting is that Jason Wormser, who uh, is a, Titan in our business and has been within our business for many, many years would suggest that this is the way to go because um, in, in the television business, windows and timing are very, very important. And theoretically, what he is suggesting, there could be no window or no end. This just continues to go on and on and on. And that would make it different. So uh, difficult. So from a practical perspective, I'm not sure that this is something that can happen when it comes to broadcast and, uh, and television. I am on the record uh, and I will continue to say that I love penalties. We talked about it last week, the, the drama and the platform and the, uh, the dynamic and the pressure of that moment is wonderful. And it happened again last night when we were on set and you you live and die with, and and breathe everything that is happening from afar of what is happening to these uh to these uh, to these players. I don't I I what I guess my um the way I look at it is that if you're going to do it because I I I see penalties not they're not a reflection of the game. Okay, they are a separate but very, very important part of the game. But they're they're so different than anything that is involved in the game. And so deciding something that bears very little resemblance to the actual game 
that is where I can be I can be convinced of something else. But I guess what I would suggest is, as I said before, that 35-yard shootout type of thing where we're actually having to dribble, where there's motion, where there's activity, where there's angles that mirrors the game in a, in a much better sense than just kicks, uh, kicks from the mark there. So, um, so he's suggesting dump penalty kicks, sudden death, next goal wins. Every 15 minutes you stop and you can add another stub. Because there's some people that have suggested that you do this but you take off a player. And so there's fewer and fewer players and therefore more space, therefore more opportunity on the field, uh, you know, like NHL, uh, an NHL type of situation, which I think could be interesting. And I, I can be convinced, Jason. I don't know. What do you think, Mossy? I, I, I like penalties, I must confess. I love the drama of them. Yeah, um, I know you do. So, yeah, I would. I would. Um, let me just say too on Jason Worms, he's had a, a good career, but Titan of the industry might be a bit strong. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, uh, let's see. What's uh, what's the next? Uh, one? David Wheeler, uh, thoughts on the ruling for college athletes? Okay, so this is the uh, you know the 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 ruling that they now are in control and can capitalize on their likeness and their their image. I'm assuming that's what he's uh, he's talking about. Look, fill your boots, all right? Have at it. Knock yourself out if you have the wherewithal and the ability to do that now and it is sanctioned and and legal and you're not violating any of the <laughs> the incredible uh NCAA laws that exist, then uh then go for it. I have I have no problem in that this is the new normal. It does get me to think about, you know, if, if I, in that moment as a, I mean, let's be honest, the amount of college soccer players where this can actually result in them generating a significant amount of revenue is very, very small. All right. If, if any, and, but I, I think back, uh, of, you know, if this had existed at my time, would I have found a way? I don't know. Now, keep in mind, this also doesn't mean that you you still that you aren't that you aren't required to live up to the expectations, the academic requirements, and so you have to be able to add this to your plate of existence as this college athlete. And you may have people that manage it for you and are able to hustle and generate uh, uh, different things, but it also will require investment and or time and resources uh, from the individual athlete at taking him or her away from things that they are uh, that they are that they are doing and there'll be those that are able to do it and able to manage it and able to continue to keep up with the academic requirements and everything else uh, and there'll be those unfortunately that that aren't and there'll be those that get into trouble with it um, either direct trouble or indirect trouble and there will be those that think that they, can capitalize on it that don't. But yeah, I got, I got, I got no problem. I'll be interested to see how much this impacts soccer. Um, you know, if this, if if they find ways to make the college soccer path more appealing, because we know that it has become less and less so over the years, that could be a good thing. I'm an incredible proponent for 
the college path and what it gives you, not just as a player, but as an individual and the unique skills and experience that it provides that I think can be beneficial and can help you not only be successful in that 90 minutes on the field, but in that other 22 and a half hours off the field that so often we neglect or don't talk about. So, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think that's okay. I, I, but I do wonder what, what, what I would have done with that opportunity back then. I mean, I had a, a little notoriety, but I don't know. I mean, Chico's bail bonds or something like, like that to uh, license out my, my likeness and my image for something like, like that. I doubt that there would be massive amounts of revenue generation potential when it comes to me or anybody else. But I do recognize that there's certainly those that, uh, that can. Not anybody up there at the University of Michigan, because evidently you told me last night your, your football team sucks, so that nobody's going to want uh, or value any type of likeness or image when it comes to any of the players. Although Mr. Harbaugh might be able to do some things, but he could do that in the past. There's already some grumbling in the fan base that Michigan wasn't as prepared for this as Ohio State and isn't raising enough money. Uh, but we'll see. Michigan has a lot of potential with this uh, name, image, and likeness deal. So if, if, we, if we make the right moves here, this could potentially be a good thing for us. But uh, <laughs> with the people in charge right now, that, that's no guarantee that we're going to make the right moves. Um, uh, but yeah, it's an interesting development. It's a brave new world. Uh, All right, what else, Masi? Uh, and we'll end on this. Um, Del Schaffer went off. Um, he says, it's sad and sad with capital letters that America, i.e. Fox Soccer, has to advertise the Copa America final as Neymar versus Messi instead of Brazil versus Argentina. Soccer is bigger than that, and this is disrespectful to their teams. Am I wrong? And then he included you, Stu Holden, Rob Stone, and Maurice Adu. Okay. Uh, yes, Dell, you, you are wrong, okay? It is... It's not sad. It is the reality. And if you find that sad, then okay. Then for you, it's sad. But for me, it's not sad. For me, it is smart business. We talk about that tent all the time. And the, you know, welcome to the world of broadcasting. Welcome to the world of marketing. Welcome to the world of trying to get as many people as possible into that tent. And the soccer people, Udell and others, we're all going to be there, okay? It's about the people that are just passing by. It's about the people that may or may not partake, partake in it. And guess what? Those people, there's a good chance they may have heard of Messi and Neymar. And if that's the hook that gets them into the soccer tent, then we would be derelict in our duties if we did not promote that, okay? And, and, and don't think for a second that this is just something that's, uh, that's limited to the American soccer culture, American soccer broadcasting culture out there, okay? The fact that Messi and Neymar are playing in a final is huge news to everybody that is invested in Copa America. This is a good thing, okay? Yes, these are two historic teams in Argentina and, uh, and Brazil, but I don't think that we are being disrespectful. The promoting and the marketing of stars is not a uniquely American thing. And as I said before, it is smart business. Everybody does it. Everybody will continue to do it. It is what sells, whether it's sports or anything else. And as I said before, 
if we were to not do it, we would not be doing our jobs. You're damn right. We're going to lean into the fact that two of the great players and, you know, arguably when it comes to Messi, certainly, uh, and who knows when it's all said and done with Neymar, but when it comes to Messi, arguably the greatest player ever to play the game, are meeting up in a final in, uh, in Copa America. You're damn right we are going to promote that. And as we should, and we will continue to do so. And whether it's Gold Cup or whether it's World Cup, men's, women's, stars sell. And they bring more people into the tent that otherwise wouldn't be there. Now, the, to your point, the unique aspect of the United States is that we have all the other sports. And soccer is not king. So even more so, we are looking to find angles and different hooks out there to bring a public in uh, that may not follow soccer, may not know a whole lot about soccer. And big stars like Messi and Neymar, that's some pretty good bait. (laughs) So we will use them, and we will hopefully hook some more people into into that tent. Mossy, anything to say about this? Uh, To criticize the company you work for takes courage and integrity. And if you're expecting those qualities out of me, we've clearly never met (laughs) Dell. (laughs) But no, I will say there there has been some conversation about the fact that – the Euros have been a more team-driven tournament in that we've seen a lot of collectively great soccer. We haven't necessarily seen that one star emerge and have an incredible tournament. And in fact, you look at the remaining teams and there's not that one player that if his team wins it, it's going to propel that player to winning the Ballon d'Or. While um, the Copa America has been a more star-driven tournament in that you've had Neymar and Messi sort of trading punches and, and, and giving these great performances. And you do feel like certainly with Messi, uh, I, I do think if, if Argentina win this final, he becomes the prohibitive favorite to win his seventh Ballon d'Or. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, and Fox maybe does lead into this. But don't, hold on. But don't think for a second that ESPN, if Portugal was in the final, all right, wouldn't be plastering Cristiano No, no, that's Ronaldo my point. Like Fox does lean into the- and, and BBC, by the way, not just ESPN, BBC and others out there. If Portugal was in the Fox, final, you, you know Fox that Cristiano Ronaldo. So the fact that they don't have those big type stars. Yeah, no, 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 that's, 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 my, that's my point. Fox, Fox does lean into the star thing a little too much at times. But in this case, I actually think it's sort of appropriate with how these two tournaments broke. Uh, you know, that one was more about the collective play and, and the teams, you know, like you look at this Italy team and it's, it's really a, 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 a story of like a team, you know, the different guys emerging each game. There's not that one guy you're going to grab onto and say, well, he's been the guy that's taken Italy to this final. While, you know, clearly you look at the two finalists of the Copa America and there's no way around it. Both of them have one player that stands tall above the rest and is clearly the reason why they're in this final. So uh, I think it is sort of the, the way the two tournaments have been covered in this case, I actually think is appropriate to how the two tournaments have broken, you know. All right. Uh, once again, if you, uh, you know, thank you for, for sending us your questions in all different forms uh, out there on social media or any other way you are able to get those messages uh, to us. We do continue to have our hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. So there's another way that you can get your questions and comments and concerns to us. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, the end of our show and at the end of our show, you know it's uh, my one for the road. So don't go anywhere. Okay, we're back, and it's time for my one for the road. Uh, If you are watching this, you will see that I am wearing a shirt here. 
from Angel City. It is the newest player, if you will, in the uh, professional American professional soccer game, the expansion and uh, newest team in the NWSL. They will be opening up next year, so 2022. They just came out with this, uh, this new brand, so we are seeing what they are looking like. And if you can't see it, it's, uh, I think it's really well done. Uh, it's simple, it's, it's clean, it's easy, and it's recognizable. Uh, they have a they have pink in theirs. You know, I've 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 been on record when it comes to Inter Miami that I don't think they have leaned into the pink side as much as I would like. So I hope that Angel City, when they come online, that they do lean into the pink. I love pink. You'll see me on air wearing pink more often than not because I just love uh, the way that it looks. And I would love to see a a real pink team. I thought Miami was going to be that, but it's it has not been. So maybe Angel City becomes that uh, that pink team. I also like the fact that you can you can draw it, and you know we we talk a lot about branding on this on this show and in American soccer because of the rebrands or the brands and and all that kind of stuff. And and as I've said before, I want it to be able to be. I don't want it to be childlike, but I want a child to be able to draw it. I remember writing all of my uh, band logos on the, my different things. And I think you should be able to do that. And I think in this, they've come up with a pretty good uh, thing that I think is going to resonate. I think a lot of people are going to want to wear it either on a shirt or on a hat or something like that. And it will be instantly recognizable as that soccer, that soccer team. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they look like on the field. Uh, this is, I live in the city of angels here in Los Angeles, and this is a very attractive destination. And I don't think that they will be hurting for players who want to come play here. They can't all come play here, but I think that they will, this city will be an incredible recruiting mechanism uh, for that team. So congratulations on the unveiling of a new brand. And (laughs) I guess congratulations on not being yelled at and or criticized relative to some other brands that have come out over the last uh, over the last couple of years. In that sense you you hit it out of the uh, you hit it out of the park and it looks good. But we all know that ultimately it's the product on the field uh, that uh, that you are selling. And so we'll see if this Angel City FC team ends up living up to the aesthetic that they have come out with. Mossy, anything before uh, yeah, we go? One on the topic of women's soccer. Um, I know it was wiped away because of an inadvertent whistle, which is mind-blowing that that could happen at this level. Uh, but that goal the U.S. scored is one of the best team goals, men or women, I've ever – you don't even have to qualify it as in women's soccer. It, best team goals, period, I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I've watched that clip probably 20 times. I can't get enough of it. What a freaking goal, the way they just knocked it around like that. I mean, am I wrong? Is that not one of the most incredible team moves you've ever seen? (laughs) It didn't count. But come on. (laughs) (laughs) What? I mean, it's not not really a goal. All right. All right. No, I know. I'm being grumpy about it. No, no. I mean, look, it's, it's wonderful. It's by the greatest team in the world, it's by the favorites who are going to, uh, uh, you know, this summer's uh, Olympics. And unless something very strange happens, they will win another gold, and then they will proceed to uh, try to defend their back-to-back World Cups 
in uh, in Australia, New Zealand. So I I cannot wait to see what this team does, and they are going in flying right now. Anything else before we go? That's it. All right. Thank you to everybody for listening, writing, reviewing, subscribing, downloading, doing all the different things that you do here for our State of the Union podcast. Uh, again, apologies that it is coming uh, coming late. There will be a point, hopefully, <laughs> in the future where we get back on schedule. But, you know, it's like summer scheduling, summer, summer hours uh, for us here. Uh, we are recording here on Wednesday, July 7th. Uh, enjoy the soccer, whether it's the uh, uh, U.S.-Denmark game that's coming up here in a couple of hours or this weekend, as we mentioned, with the, the finals of both Euros and the finals of Copa America featuring Messi and Neymar. Messi, Neymar, Neymar, Messi, Messi, Neymar. And then, of course, the kickoff and the start to what hopefully is going to be a successful, from American perspective, uh, campaign when it comes to Gold Cup. And we will be bringing all of that action to you on Fox. Have a great week, and we will talk again next week here on the State of the Union. Until then, and as always, size the deck.